following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chris Hearn. He is the CEO and co-founder of Mercantile Capital Corporation. He is also the author of a new book called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth, How the Smartest Business Owners Build Their Fortunes. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Let's just start with a little bit of your background. Uh, you have a whole chapter in the beginning of the book about it, but kind of briefly describe what your background is and why you created Mercantile Capital and, and what uh, that's all about. Sure, sure. Well, I uh, I grew up, I'm a Midwesterner. I'm a what I call an enlightened Midwesterner because after uh, growing up there, I actually moved to Florida uh, about 15 years ago. So um, long story short, I uh, I was one of these kids, grew up in a working class background, uh, been working since I was about eight years old, had a whole host of different businesses from eight years old on, worked all the way through high school, worked all the way through college, uh, went to graduate school in Philadelphia, eventually moved to Washington, D.C. area, where I thought I was going to um, get involved in politics, interestingly enough. Uh, I thought I was pretty good at selling ideas. And uh, when I found out that the people call Capitol Hill the last plantation because they don't really pay people very well up there, I decided that uh, perhaps I should go into the private sector and try and sell my um, use my sales skills to, uh, to sell products and services. And so I did that, got very good at it. Uh, I actually worked for a high-tech startup in suburban D.C. before that was real popular and fashionable, I should say. And then uh, a headhunter came calling and recruited me to go to work at GE Capital. Um, this is back in the Jack Welsh days. And I was there for about two and a half, three years. They actually relocated my wife and I down here to Florida and uh, was doing small business lending and actually really enjoying it. Uh, I you know, always thought of myself as an entrepreneur, and I liked working with entrepreneurs even back then. And um, did that for a few years. Uh, long story short, joined the competitor, GE Bottom. Uh, my running joke at the time was, you know, all they had to do was uh, not put a cap on earnings. <laughs> I would have been happy staying there. They didn't have to uh, pay billions of dollars to try and get me back. And um, then I became a management consultant for a while, traveled a lot, and eventually had a very fateful um, drink one time with a buddy of mine in the small business lending arena who urged me to get back into it. And so, um, you know, I was only out of it for a couple of years and decided to, to get back in, but I wanted to have it on my own terms, my own conditions, approve my own deals. And um, ten and a half years ago, I started Mercantile Capital Corporation to finance just small business um, property, just, just commercial property for small business owners all across the U.S. And we originally started just in Florida, thought we were going to just work in our backyard. And within a couple of years, we were doing deals all over the country. And uh, now we We've closed loans in 37 states, Puerto Rico, and the District of Columbia for almost $1.4 billion in total projects. And so it's um, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Uh, got me involved in another business I started along the way, and um, that's what I do. So let's just start with kind of a broad view of kind of the state of small business today. Some would say it's a better opportunity than ever before. 
because big companies are cutting back. Others would say it's harder for small businesses because financing is more difficult. There's more international competition. What is your state of uh, your, your finding about the state of small business today? You're dealing with these people all the time. Well, I will tell you that I'm, I'm dealing with what I call the survivors, the people that have gotten through the Great Recession. And um, for those folks, um, you know, they've for a lot of them, they cut back. Um, you know, they cut back some of their expenses. They may have cut back their, their payroll a bit. Um, but they did it so they could survive the Great Recession. And, and they've come through it, and they're on the other side now. And now they're being opportunistic and, and hopefully being courageous about various things. Um, obviously, one of the things I want them to be courageous about is, is buying their commercial property, which we can talk more about that later. But, um, you know, I would, I would say, Jordan, that there's never been a better time to start a business from a purely technical standpoint. And by that I mean if you have a, a brick-and-mortar business that perhaps does some sales online, um, the technology has gotten so inexpensive that to throw up a website, to start taking orders online, uh, to be all over the country, not just in your own backyard, it's, there's never been a, a simpler time to do that. And, and literally what used to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars now costs hundreds, if not maybe a thousand dollars or something like that to do the same thing, um, you know, cost $100,000 10 years ago. Now it's a fraction of that. So, so on that perspective, it's a phenomenal time. Uh, on the other perspective, you brought it up yourself about the financing of it. Yes, it, it is, it is problematic right now to secure financing for a startup. And the biggest reason for that is there's just, there are a number of um, things that have happened since the Great Recession. Uh, the biggest, biggest reason I believe that the economy is just still sort of, uh, you know, treading water, and, and we haven't had much of a recovery, is because unlike just about every other recession we've ever had, uh, banks really didn't participate in the recovery and the turnaround. And they didn't do it because they kind of got their knuckles wrapped uh, by regulators during the Great Recession, and uh, they've been very hesitant to step back in and start lending again on a number of levels. Uh, you know, banks have never been a traditional source of startup capital per se. Uh, they help a little bit, but just, you know, providing working capital, lines of credit, for instance, for small businesses, that, that is something that banks have always been there for. And uh, we've seen a lot of small businesses in the last few years get their lines of credit cut way back or dropped entirely, and it's forced uh, entrepreneurs to look elsewhere. Um, you know, you can only and, – and, and everybody's taken a little bit of a, of, a, of a crunch on this over the last few years. So it's, it's tough to go back to your family and friends who maybe they've seen a, a decrease in their income or uh, an increase in their debt, they may not have the ability to uh, to buy a little stake in your business. Um, you know, credit cards are not as uh, they're not as uh, easy to, to get these days as they were five years ago. Getting a second on your home, which you know a lot of people don't understand, that's how a lot of people start businesses is getting uh, you know pulling out. Um, some equity out of their home, and uh, and that's obviously been affected with uh, residential real estate values coming down. So you know, it's 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 kind of this uh, weird situation, this paradox that I think it's a great time to start, yet it's going to be difficult uh, from a financial perspective. Um, obviously, we don't partake in, in financing too many startups. We mostly spend our time working with uh, with the survivors, with the folks that. Um, you know, we hope that we can help them finance their commercial property. That's where we spend our time. But uh, I hear these kind of comments all the time, Jordan, as you can well imagine. Are the banks uh, going to get easier, or is this a long-term situation where the banks are going to stay tight with small business? 
Well, I think they are going to get easier eventually. Um, I, I don't really see when that's going to happen. I mean, I, I think I think for the foreseeable future, the next two to three years, I think you're going to continue to see um, some some pretty uh, frozen credit markets, and a lot of that's because you know we got to got to love the guys in Washington. You know, sometimes they, they've never seen, as they say, a crisis they wouldn't want to take an you know take advantage of. And in this case, uh, oftentimes the things that they produce out of crises is, is legislation that um, has a lot of unintended consequences. So in the banking world, what that means is we've got Dodd-Frank, for instance, um, which, yeah, there's some, there's some decent stuff in Dodd-Frank, but there's a whole bunch of things, literally hundreds of regulations that I don't think banks, uh, first of all, it hasn't been implemented yet fully. Um, we're not really sure how to implement it, and, uh, and I think it's going to give a lot of heartache and a lot of heartburn to, to most bankers around the country. And, and of course, you know what flows downhill, that's going to be, make it more difficult to, uh, to get lending done through banks. And so it's, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a tough road for a little while, I think. Um, and it's unfortunate because I really just see this as a, potentially a great time for, for American small businesses to, to grow. But, uh, but you've got to have some of that financing sector fixed. And there has been, by the way, Jordan, I, I haven't said it yet, but there's, there are some alternative sources that have cropped up. You know, we, we do have some of these like crowdfunding programs that have started uh, to happen and nothing's really got nuts too much other than Kickstarter, but I think you're going to see more things like that happen. You're starting to see people, uh, you know, factoring again, which isn't always a good long-term solution, but that's starting to happen. And so there's there's a variety of other platforms that you're going to see come up, crop up as an alternative to the traditional banking sector. But you're saying that because of Dodd-Frank and other regulations, the banks are too scared to take risk right now, and they're going to stay that way and really not open up as they did in the past for small businesses. Well, the only banks that have opened up the spigots back to, you know, not quite back to where they were, but are getting closer to where they were, of course, are the two big to fail banks, the ones that you and I helped bail out. Um, so that's kind of the irony of all this. Uh, the banks that uh, didn't get any federal funds, uh, those are the ones that are still too uh, too scared in many cases. And, um, you know, the best loan that a banker can make is no loan at all because it can't go bad on them, right? So that's that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a bit of a, uh, a stagnant mindset situation that's mostly brought by the overreaction on the part of Washington and their regulators. Now, you say the best-kept secret um, in small business is commercial real estate and, and owning your own commercial real estate. What makes it such a good idea for small businesses to buy their commercial real estate? Well, it's a good idea right now because we're living in an environment where – let me answer it this way. Normally, this is a good strategy, okay, because, frankly, small businesses, their exit strategies, which not a lot of people talk about, they're not going to go public one day for the most part. They're either going to shut down or they're going to be sold. And so if during that time frame that you're operating your business, you can pay yourself rent as opposed to your landlord rent and get him or her wealthy, then it's it's very analogous to why people move out of home or out of apartments into homes. And the same thing applies. You've got a home for your business. And it allows you to build up equity in an appreciable asset. What makes it even more prominent right now is we're living in an era where we have historically low interest rates, which have nowhere to go but up from here. And they will start creeping up here, I suspect, in the next 18 to 24 months. Um, and you also have – we're living in an era where the property values have all have all popped. Uh, and you've, you had a bubble not just in residential housing. You had a bubble in commercial property. And, and so we are on average about 42% off the highs of about five years ago on a nationwide average. Now, obviously, 
obviously some markets are going to be uh, less than that. But the general fact of the matter is that we have commercial property on sale right now, plus you have historical interest rates, which makes this normally good strategy a probably a once-in-a-generation strategy for most small business owners. They can actually buy right now for less than they can continue leasing, and that's, uh, that's something that doesn't come around all the time. People might not be familiar. What would you count as commercial property? What are some of the kinds of buildings uh, that your clients tend to buy? Uh, office buildings, um, warehouse buildings, office industrial buildings, uh, manufacturing plants, distribution flat plants, restaurants, hotels, daycare centers, uh, auto repair shops, uh, just, you know, a whole variety of things. And uh, what... Um makes commercial real estate different than residential real estate, which people are probably more familiar with as far as buying it as an investment. Well, the biggest, the biggest difference is, is um, you know, that it's not as big of a market as the residential real estate market is, and therefore it's not going to be quite as fluid, um, which means, you know, the bankers, fundamentally people have to understand bank, banks are in, or any lender for that matter, is in the risk management business, and so they have to constantly look at managing their risk and um, one of the ways to manage the risk, of course, is to is to charge a little bit more for their loans than they do with residential. So commercial property is always about a point or a point and a half higher in terms of the interest rate. Um, another way to manage the risk is to not quite give as long a term. So while 30-year mortgages are pretty much the norm these days, and residential, and you even see in some states 40-year mortgages, and the commercial uh, area, you generally see 15 and 20-year terms. So those those are some of the big differences. Um, you know, I mean, I, again, I think it's the scenario here is I'm I'm basically likening why people move out of apartments into homes with uh, trying to find a home for your business. I think if you have a brick and mortar business, this this makes great sense. It's a great strategy that a lot of big businesses don't do actually, and the biggest reason they don't is because so many of big businesses are publicly held, and so much of uh, Wall Street analysis is, is quarter to quarter. One of the big metrics they look at is return on assets, and if you own commercial property, it's an asset, and it's a it's a drag on your return on assets. Well, a small business owner doesn't have that doesn't have that worry. They're not they're not worried about having to uh, you know meet expectations on a quarterly basis for some Wall Street analysts. They can actually uh, utilize this strategy to uh, to grow their wealth for themselves as the owner of the business. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chris Hearn. He's the CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation and also the author of a new book called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth, How the Smartest Business Owners Build Their Fortunes. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. 
Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chris Hearn. He's the CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation, uh, which helps uh, businesses uh, finance commercial real estate properties. He's also the author of a new book called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Uh, tell us about a website. Is there a website where they can find out more about the book and your company? Yes. The, uh, the company website is 504experts.com. Again, 504experts.com. And the book's website is theentrepreneursecretbook.com, theentrepreneursecretbook.com. And what do they find? Is there kind of a forum going on at that website? What do they find out there? Uh, well, there's tons of information on my main company website. There's uh, videos they can watch, articles they can read. Um, they can learn more about the book there as well and buy the book from there. Uh, on the um, the book's website, you can learn sort of more about my background. Uh, you can purchase the book there, of course. I believe if you uh, give some contact details, you can actually even get the first chapter for free. Okay, now one of the decisions business owners have to make is should they own or rent uh, their commercial real estate? What are the pros and cons of owning versus renting? Well, the, well let's start with the pros and cons of leasing versus owning, believe it or not. Um, the biggest reason why people lease is because it affords you more flexibility. And so um, I'm actually this, – this may shock you a little bit, Jordan, but um, I, get, I get phone calls and emails all the time from people who – have heard me speak on TV, radio, read a publication, what have you, and they're so enamored with what I said about wanting to buy their commercial real estate to create wealth for themselves that uh, yet at the same time, they're basically in the garage stage of their business. And by that, I mean they have an idea and they're kind of – they're in the very, very beginning stages, the formative stages. And oftentimes, I turn away what could be perfectly decent business at that point because I, I always advise them to, to hold on to their precious capital, to grow grow themselves to basically prove their concepts so that they have established themselves in their marketplace. And, and usually that takes about two to three years. After about three years in business, you should have a pretty good idea of whether your business model is profitable or not, hopefully showing profit, profits, which will make it financeable, um, and, and that you're going to have some staying power, that you can kind of build a little bit of a foundation. And at that point, that's when I want to talk to people about perhaps owning their commercial property as opposed to continuing leasing. But uh, owning is not going to be for everybody, okay, whether you're in the early stages or sometimes people have such location-dependent businesses that uh, – and, and there's just not property for them to buy. Uh, I'll give you an example that I talk about in the book a little bit is the if you happen to be an attorney or you, know, you have a law firm and you're a litigator and you have to be across the street from the courthouse – uh, 
sometimes that's that's pretty pricey property, and, and a lot of times that's not property that a landlord wants to sell to anybody. They want to hang on to it and continue cashing rent checks, and so it's going to be real difficult for you, uh, you know, to move maybe ten blocks down the street to actually start owning the property there. And uh, you know, so that's just an example of that. But the reason why ownership makes a lot of sense, if you can do it is number one, as I talked about in the first segment, um, right now you have this perfect confluence of historic low interest rates, property on sale, and if you can combine those two, it's, it would, takes what's normally a good strategy and makes it an even better strategy in terms of creating wealth for yourself. All you're doing is basically paying yourself rent uh, when, you, when you follow my advice. So that's phenomenal because it doesn't require you to change anything in the day-to-day operations of your business other than you know now you're paying your rent checks for your facility to a real estate holding company that you own that owns the real estate. It's very different than paying it to your landlord. So that's to me that's the biggest benefit there is about owning commercial property. Oftentimes commercial property is is more valuable than even your business itself if you go to sell it one day. And I know that that's may rub some people the wrong way a little bit, but that's just the reality of the situation. So um, you know some some cons of course. Ownership doesn't give you quite the flexibility that uh, that leasing does in terms of you know today you've got 10,000 square feet maybe you can go to your landlord and negotiate uh, you know you lost a huge customer and now you need to downsize it's much easier to downsize when you lease the facility sometimes than it is when you own the facility although that's not always the case there's I could argue other points about how now it gives you an opportunity to sublet some of your space um, you know a pro about owning versus Leasing is you get to actually build it in your image. You actually get to uh, reconfigure the space so that it is optimally efficient for your business. You know, especially if you're a manufacturer or a distributor, that might be something that's really important to you. You know, whereas before you had to work with the walls as they were. Um, you know, in the lease facility. So that may make a big difference. The other thing is, we, people don't talk about this much, but there is an emotional pull for a business owner to want to own their property. Um, for a lot of them, it, it's, it, they feel like their time has arrived. Uh, I actually, I talk about a story in, in my book um, about Michael Dell, the, um, the founder of, of Dell Computers. And um, it, was a, it was another book I had read, and they interviewed him, and they said, you know, did you have this idea of starting a high-tech company when you were a kid and he said no I didn't uh, I didn't you know I didn't really know what I wanted to do as a child but I knew that I wanted to own a building that had flags out in front of it because when I was a kid driving through Houston in the mornings to school I always would be passing all these big buildings with flags out front and you know that kind of uh, flabbergasted the interviewers and they said, well, okay, so, so do you, do you own a building now with flags out front? He said, yes, and I have three flags out front. And it's, it's kind of, I, I know it sounds a little silly that this youthful ambition that he had, um, you know, turns into this multi-billion dollar business one day, but the same thing applies for a lot of small business owners. I actually see it as sort of an another American dream that a lot of entrepreneurs have. You know, once, once you've gone into business for yourself to be your own boss, that's a huge, huge leap. And that's a big American dream that a lot of these folks have. 
And once you do that, most of them are already done the other big American dream, which we always have heard about for, for decades, which is to own your own house. And eventually what they come to, usually at 4 a.m. the night before the rent check is due, they finally say, you know what, why do I keep wasting my money, you know, paying rent when I should just go and try and buy a facility? Uh, I've arrived. It's time. I deserve this. I need to go do this. And maybe it'll actually even, you know, increase my own net worth by doing it. Um, how does owning commercial real estate build wealth for somebody in the long run? Well, it's really, really simple. It's that you are paying into um, an appreciable asset. Most, most throughout history, it's an appreciable asset, and you are slowly but surely building equity in it. So that when you, um, you know, someday when you shut your business down or you sell your business, hopefully you will have enough equity in that property. Um, that if you decide to sell the property, you'll make a nice return. Um, maybe you'll have already paid off uh, what the property was worth. The business will have effectively paid for it by itself over a period of time. And so now you own the property free and clear. You can sell the property. You can then turn yourself into a landlord to someone else, maybe to the people uh, that even just bought your business, for instance, which in some cases that, that is a terrific tenant to have. So a lot of different things. Now you talk about the difference between the buyers and the sellers market. Where, where does that stand now? Is it very regional, or, or how do you tell whether you're in a buyer's or seller's market for commercial property? Well, it's a, it, it can be tough, but the, the simple answer is, you know, we as human beings have a tendency to, um, you know, to be like lemmings. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, um, you know, we all know that adage in the back of our heads that you should buy low and sell high, but invariably what happens is we buy high and sell low because we panic and, and, oh, no, the bubble burst, and so then we sell on the way down. Um, you know, we it's, it's, I think most people who are plugged in and are paying attention to national news and whatnot, they, would, they understand that over the last four or five years we, we had a real estate bubble. It burst. Um, it was a big contributing factor to the, uh, the Great Recession. And um, we only see residential real estate values now, maybe the last six months or so, are starting to pick up. Um, commercial property values have picked up a little bit, um, not quite as much as residential in the last six months, but it stands to reason that that's going to you know, continue to accelerate from here. Um, as you see interest rates rise, you're probably going to see property values can continue to increase. And, um, you know, that, that's, I guess that's the way I, I look at it. You know, when, when, when you have a situation where everybody thinks the sky is falling, it's probably a good time to buy. Uh, and we are still somewhat in the, in the throes of that. We're still somewhat in this era of, you know, you really have to have some courage to buy some assets now. Even though most people understand intellectually that this is probably the time to buy, um, not many people have the courage to go out and do it. And um, fortunately, I'm blessed to be able to work with people like that on a daily basis. Should you buy just the building or the land under it? Or what are the pros and cons of buying the building and the land? Well, sometimes you don't have the option. Sometimes you can only buy the uh, the improvements on the land. Um, I will tell you that it becomes more difficult from a financing standpoint um, when you just want to buy the leasehold improvements on the property itself and, and not buy the land. The biggest reason for that is, is uh, lenders like myself, if, God forbid, we have to foreclose on you, 
um, we now have to continue to make lease payments on the land. And if we're dealing in like a, a development, uh, dealing with a, a developer, uh, that could be thousands of dollars a month just to make lease payments. Uh, if, you know, if you're dealing with a municipality, maybe like an airport authority or something like that, yeah, sometimes those are, um, are not, uh, not very expensive leases on a month to month basis, uh, because they're usually very long term leases, you know, like 75 year, 99 year leases, things like that. But that's the biggest reason. Is, is the lender has to look at their downside. Their downside is they have to foreclose on the property, and now they have to pick up the lease payments on the land, plus they have to pay the taxes and insurance, and uh, it becomes a little, little, um, little snashing occurs if that happens. So the lenders would mostly prefer that you that you are buying um, the land and the building together, or constructing it. You know, buying the land and constructing uh, a building on it. That that way, um, you know, it's it's all in one package, and that's a whole lot easier to move than. Uh, and just somebody's leasehold improvements that they may not they may not want for that matter. So is is that very difficult to build a new building? I mean, the design process that's a riskier proposition. Uh, it is. It's a riskier proposition because now you're bringing into play construction risk as well. It's not just the uh, the, the regular risk about the business operations and the, is the fundamentally is the debt going to get repaid? Now you have a risk of okay, we have to build this. You know, we have to build this to spec and to code, and um, you know the the, the construction, uh, the general contractor. You know, we don't want them to go belly up in the middle of this. Um, it can be a bit of a complicated process uh, to do construction draws and whatnot. People like myself, uh, we've actually become specialists at doing this, at, at doing ground up construction or or um, doing some renovations and tenant improvement work. But one of the commonalities that we have in order to mitigate. Um, Construction risk is is we like to vet the general contractor. In other words, we require a uh, what's called an AIA statement of qualifications, which gives us a couple years of financials on the contractor themselves. We want to make sure that, for instance, the uh, the contractor's payables aren't aren't in, uh, exceeding their receivables, for instance. You know, so they're not in a precarious financial situation. We want to make sure that they're um, you know they've experienced have experience building properties like what we're contemplating financing. You know, that they have the the uh, the right licenses and things. That nature. So that's some of those are some of the things that we get out of a statement of qualification. So we were, but we're a little unusual. We're, I, I don't think everybody out there does that. And again, I think if you had a regulator on the phone here, they'd probably tell you that part of the problem with some of the bank failures over the last uh, three or four or five years were that sometimes they were a little uh, loosey goosey with their uh, construction lending requirements. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chris Hearn. He's the CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation based in the Orlando area. His new book is called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth. We'll be back after this. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
everybody needs expert advice when they look to develop their personal brand. Join Rochelle McCrary for The Leader and the Muse. Rochelle and her guests will bring you practical tips and tools to help you build your brand in ways that propel you into greater personal and business success. For strategies, stories, and much more, tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Leader and the Muse. And get ready to take your brand to the next level. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Chris Hearn. He's the CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation. He's also the author of a new book called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks again, Jordan. All right, so say you've decided you want to buy a commercial property, you're the building you're operating your business out of. Let's kind of briefly get into the loan process. Uh, what are some of the things that the lenders are going to look for, and where, where is the base, best place to find uh, the best deal in a, a loan? Well, lenders are fundamentally going to look at your financials um, to determine is your business profitable or not. And so I know that a lot of um, – I've had this conversation with a number of small business owners over the years. You know, they kind of uh, hand me their financials and, and wink and say, you know, I, I really did make more money than what I'm reporting here on my tax return. And I said, yeah, I understand that, but the problem is I have to go off of – what is verifiable, which is your tax return. I can't go off of the fact that maybe you're, you know, taking 10 or 15% of your gross revenue under the table in cash. Um, I don't think the IRS would be too fond of that either. But that stuff happens. I mean, that's, that is, that happens in the real world. So, you know, I oftentimes counsel small business owners to make sure that you are making enough profit to be financeable if, in fact, you want to get a loan at some point, okay? If it's not a concern of yours, well, you know what? You're going to do whatever you're going to do. That's that's not my concern. It's not my business. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes, oftentimes, it's much easier just to, you know, report everything up front, be honest about it, be done with it, pay your taxes, and move on. Um, but so that's one of the things that, uh, that every lender is going to look at. They're going to look at your tax returns, your corporate tax returns. Um, doesn't matter what entity filing you have, whether you're an LLC or a C Corp or an S Corp or what have you, limited partnership, it doesn't matter. Um, they're going to look at your, your tax returns in the operating company. They're going to look at uh, what are called interim financial statements, which basically is the most recent quarter-end profit and loss statement as well as balance sheet. They're going to look at that. Um, they're generally going to look at uh, want to get a personal financial statement, which is basically uh, what, what your assets and liabilities are as an individual borrower. Okay. Um, what we also often get is what's called a um, 
a statement of business liabilities that gives us an understanding of, of what kind of uh, business obligations you have, what kind of business debts you have, because we're trying to determine uh, if, in fact, this new debt, the new proposed debt, the commercial property, is going, if you're going to be able to afford it or not. And we can't, we don't know that unless we look at what you're currently financing. Um, we also this may be a simple question, but do people normally pay themselves rent if they own the commercial property or, or not? Do they normally what? I'm sorry, Jordan? Pay themselves rent. If they own the commercial property? If you own the commercial property and you're using it fully for yourself, yeah. do you typically you, you pay yourself rent? Yeah, what, what happens is the operating company, you know, the widget maker that you own, it pays rent to a real estate holding company that you own. Well, you took title and you have the loan in the real estate holding company's name, so you're paying from from the operating company to the real estate holding company, which owns the property and is paying off your uh, your commercial mortgage. That's how you do so, it. And, and so what ties the two things together is, is what's often called a master lease. And so in time, if you want to increase uh, you know, your rent, what you're paying yourself, that's another way to extract more capital out of the business. Um, you also are having some income sheltering happening in the real estate holding company because you're, while your income is the rent payments to you, um, you're able to take advantage of um, uh, depreciation, amortization, interest expense. And so if, if let's just say you're paying $10,000 a month in rent, you would think over a 12-month period of time there's $120,000 of reportable income over here in the real estate holding company. And while that's true, um, what's ultimately going to get reported to the IRS will be that 120 less some of these non-cash expenses like depreciation, amortization, interest expense. So what, what may show is you paid 120000 in, um, but you're only taxable on, say, 70000 The other 50000 was was a uh, basically a sheltering mechanism, perfectly legal. Um, but but that's, a, that's a nice, that's a nice uh, scenario to be in when you're on both sides of the equation. Now, you, have, you said sense? the lenders evaluate what you call the five Cs. Why don't you briefly go through yeah. what the five C's are when lenders are seeing if they're going to give you the loan? Sure, sure. Well, the, the probably the most important of the five C's, I think, is, is character. And uh, we determine character based on um, have you, in fact, paid all your bills in the past. Um, we, that's one of the reasons why we look at a personal um, uh, credit score uh, to determine if, in fact, you've, you've made your payments in the past, you haven't been delinquent on, on various payments, things of that nature. Um, some of the other five C's after you get past character, and, and this is, and this can also, um, this can also be, you know, uh, do people know you in the community? I mean, right now there's so many national lenders, uh, like ourselves, for instance. It's kind of hard uh, to be, you know, nobody lends on a handshake really anymore like they once did, and so it's a little bit tougher to, um, you know, to to, do, to assess that. But uh, but a good way to do that really is is to take a look at, um, you know, your personal history of what. what what you've paid for in the past. Um, some of the other C's are uh, collateral. You know, we're looking at. Uh, that's the biggest reason why we everybody gets a um, it gets an appraisal on the property. We want to make sure that what you're paying for the property uh, that it's actually worth that. Um, you'd be surprised how often that's not the case. Um, that somebody has to go back and renegotiate. Um, you know the the contract, the real estate contract, because um, frankly, you know the seller was asking far too much for the property. 
Um, another is cash flow. And cash flow is really what, what I was starting to go through with some of the financial documentation. That's what the lender is trying to take a look at to determine, does this borrower have enough cash available being thrown off by the business to take on this new debt? Uh, that's, that's pretty fundamental. I mean, if, if they don't, then perhaps they shouldn't be buying this. I mean, that's, that's really what it, what it boils down to. Uh, you gotta put me on the spot here, Jordan. Try to uh, cre- credit analysis is one of them. Uh, credit, yeah, credit on the business as well as your personal credit. Uh, we've we've talked a little bit about that. Um, and the last one, oh, geez, Condi- conditions, conditions, conditions. Yeah, conditions is really that's more of a um, that's that's really about the sort of the economy that we're in. And then some of what we were talking about earlier today is, is a reflection of the conditions, which is, you know, is now a good time for me, a lender, to be advancing a loan to this small business? Uh, for a lot of lenders in this country, uh, they would answer that in the negative. No, it's not a good time. No, we just don't know. You know, are, are we going to – I don't think too many people think we're going to have a double-dip recession right now, but, but um, you know, that was a legitimate concern over the last 18 months or so. Are we gonna? Are we gonna? You know, we keep printing all this money. Um, you know, are we gonna eventually? Is, is are things just? Um, you know, things not worth what they, we claim they are worth, and and, uh, and we're not really growing our way out of this. And so that's that's something you can't really control control conditions necessarily. Um, but you know, character, credit analysis, collateral, and cash flow. The four, those four C's. Those really are what you can control. And uh, and and certainly these are things that every lender is going to evaluate. Whether they whether they do so in calling them these the five C's or or they just uh, that's their internal process going through this and um, yeah so okay now there's a specific kind of program that you specialize in which is mm-hmm. called the SBA 504 loan briefly describe what that program is and what's so good about it well it's it's a program that's um, you know, first of all, the, the Small Business Administration is the only agency within the federal government that's there to support America's entrepreneurs. And uh, I happen to I have I've done now um, over 16 years in the industry, and uh, in doing that, I've, I've seen a lot of changes. And I will tell you that um, my objective opinion is we actually get more bang for our buck out of this one agency than we probably do just about any other federal agency. And I know that that. Might be a little hard to swallow for some folks, but these uh, the SBA has less than a billion dollar total budget, and upon which they end up doing you know well over thirty billion dollars of loan programs, for instance, and um, and just to the small business sector. Uh, obviously, you can imagine the ripple effect from doing thirty billion dollars of financing in such a critical sector in the economy. It's it's you know there's a lot of a lot of local tax receipts and state tax receipts and natural tax receipts that are paid. A lot of jobs are created. I mean, just a lot of economic activity happens through through this. Um, so, the 504 happens to be um, the program that I think has always kind of been in the shadows of the SBA's more well-known program, which is called the 7A program. 7A is is the program that um, sort of gets all the publicity out of the SBA, and the media sort of thinks everything is an SBA 7A loan. When in fact, there's there's this other program. Uh, the 7A is generally the one that's used for business acquisitions. Uh, you can use it with startup capital, working capital, uh, financing equipment, real estate, all sorts of different things. And, and it's kind of a catch-all. And it's been around a long time. It's been around about 50 years. So the, the SBA 504, on the other hand, has only been around about 30 years. 
Um, and the SBA 504 loan is only used to finance what are called um, tangible long-term assets, things like real estate and heavy equipment. And that's all you can use a 504 for, okay? And so the big benefits with a 504 that, um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm talking now about a program that even, believe it or not, some bankers don't know much about this program. You'd be shocked sometimes, Jordan, how little is known out there uh, in, in the banking world, let alone in the entrepreneurial community about this particular loan program. This is a loan program that has three main advantages. The biggest one is that the down payment is usually a third to half the down payment the Nord bank would require. So if you're buying a million dollar building, um, you know, go to your, your your typical bank that you got your business account with and you're going to have to put two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars down. If you're using an SBA 504 program, in many cases you're only going to have to put a hundred thousand dollars down. That makes a big difference. I don't care what small business owner you are. If you can retain more of your precious capital and stretch your dollar further, that, that makes good business sense. The second big advantage is you have a little bit longer terms with a 504 compared to an ordinary bank financing. And, and what I mean by that is ordinary bank financing, you're looking at a 15- or a 20-year amortization. With a 504, you're mostly looking at a 25 and in some cases even a 30-year amortization. The reason that's important to a small business owner is that's going to impact your monthly cash flow with this new debt that you're taking on more than anything else, certainly more than interest rate. Uh, people get all caught up in interest rate, but it's really that's the lowest common denominator. Oftentimes, uh, professional lenders, there's not more than 25, 30 basis points difference from one lender to another. So it's, it's, this is the thing that matters the most. And the last piece, um, which is really I liken it to Wall Street financing coming to Main Street businesses, and that is that through the, the structure of a 504, which we can get into later if you want, but it's in the book, um, you actually have a government-guaranteed bond that is purchased uh, once a month by bondholders, oftentimes uh, college endowments and pension funds and mutual funds and folks like that, and they are accepting a lower yield for their bonds because it has the full faith and credit of the U.S. government on it. And the yield that they're accepting is effectively the borrower's interest rate that they're paying. The reason they're accepting a lower yield is because of this full faith and credit government guarantee, which is paid for, which a lot of people don't realize, is actually paid for by the borrower and by the lender that's providing this loan. So in effect, these small fees get put into an insurance pool that are there to to uh, cover off any projected losses in the program. And what's interesting is this program has actually operated at a zero subsidy in all but a couple years of its entire existence and actually has produced a surplus in many of the years that it's been in existence, which, uh, of course, nobody really knows. Pretty what unusual. <laughs> yes. Okay, we're going to take a break and come back and find out more about this program. Uh, this is Jordan okay. Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Chris Hearn, uh, the CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation. His book, which gets to this in much more detail, is The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. 
Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest today is Chris Hearn, the CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation, is also the owner of the uh, author of a new book called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me again, Jordan. So we're talking about the SBA 504 program, basically. So if you want to uh, acquire commercial property, uh, let's briefly go through some of the steps. In addition to what we talked about before, as far as going to lenders, uh, as far as getting a loan through this program. Yeah, well, I, I think that's part of the process. This is oftentimes the biggest purchase of a small business owner's life. And um, so I think, you know, with, with that in mind, I think you, it needs all sort of care and concern um, that you would think. And, and so, therefore, what a lot of people have uh, written Amazon reviews about and uh, about my book and have said is that this is kind of a blueprint for how to do that from, from start to finish. Uh, one of the things I advise people is to make sure that they put a good team in place around them um, to, in order to accomplish this goal, and, and, and that starts with making sure that you pick a commercial real estate broker or agent um, you know, carefully, and, and I give eight different questions in the book on how to select one, for instance. Um, probably is going to rule out your brother-in-law who flips condos down at the beach somewhere. Um, you know, it's just not a very necessarily a very good fit. Um, I talk about in the book also you probably don't want to use your cousin who is a, uh, a residential home inspector, although some home inspectors also do do commercial property. But you want to be careful about things like that. You know, commercial property is very different than residential property in many ways. It takes a different level of specialized knowledge. Um, and then I talk about, you know, how to, how to determine uh, the right commercial lender. Um, the biggest reason you want to use uh, a commercial broker and 
who, who makes sense that you can work well with and select the right commercial lender is because you don't want to waste your time. Um, I hate hearing the stories about people, um, you know, wasting their Saturday afternoons uh, for weeks at a time looking at, you know, $3 million properties when they could only have been financeable for $300,000 properties. It makes a big difference. And sometimes far too many people in our society, especially salespeople, confuse activity with results. And as a small business owner myself uh, who helps other small business owners, I think time is a, is a really um, it's a major asset that you want to be very judicious with. And so I, I give you some, some strategies in the book on how to do that. And then, um, and then we really talk a lot about about the different loan options that are available. I, I basically lay out all the pros and cons of all of them, and I pretty much settle on what what uh, I call the best kept secret, which we talked about briefly in the last segment. It happens to be the loan that I have myself, and that we are considered one of the nation's experts at, which is the SBA 504 loan. We just uh, in the last segment went through a few of the reasons why it makes so much sense, but the biggest one really is to get the least expensive financing uh, for you. Number one, and, and number two is is to put a third to half the money down, and, and number three is to get a little bit longer term. You put those three things together, and it's uh, it's really difficult for an ordinary conventional bank to beat what's available through the SBA 504 program. Now you have something called the Smart Choice Commercial Loan. Is that your version of the 504, or what, what's different about the Smart Choice compared to other 504 loans? Well, you get to work with us, Jordan. Um, in all seriousness, that was kind of we rebranded it because we just thought that you know it's another one of these inane government uh, acronyms that doesn't make any sense. You know, whether it's 401k or 529 or 1003 or in this case 504, uh, doesn't really describe what it is. And so we we call it the Smart Choice Commercial Loan because we feel like. The borrowers are making a smarter choice by preserving more of their capital, um, not impacting their monthly cash flow as greatly, and, and getting a financing vehicle that's really a, it's a Wall Street, uh, inexpensive uh, mechanism to finance their commercial property. So you put all those together, and I just think it's a, it's a much smarter choice than accepting whatever uh, you know, your local banker offers you. You say there are a lot of myths around the SBA. We don't have time to go into all of them, but what are some of the most common myths about dealing with the SBA that people uh, should be disabused of? Well, the biggest one I hear all the time is how long it takes, and the reality is um, people have to understand the SBA doesn't make loans themselves, except for in the case of disasters, believe it or not. Uh, it's the SBA, not FEMA. We can argue that some other point, some other time, but um, the SBA merely guarantees loans. It is a vehicle to guarantee the loans, so a private sector lender is making the loans. So if it takes a long time, which it did 15 years ago, it took a long time to get an SBA loan. But these days it doesn't, okay? And it, it's more a function of what lender you chose to go with for your SBA loan. And obviously I encourage people not to be a guinea pig to your lender. You want to – there's another – way. you know, I go through a number of different ways to qualify your lender to determine if this is somebody you should deal with. And among others is you want to make sure they're actually experts at this. If they do this regularly, that you're not only the second borrower they've worked with in the entire year to do this process with because they're going to waste your time and cause you a lot of headaches and heartburn. So that's a big one that I, I blow up in the book. Uh, another one I hear all the time is about paperwork. You know, SBA loans right now, basically, they may require an extra couple pages of, of uh, signing your name. But beyond that, um, they, they require pretty much the same paperwork that you'd have to go to any conventional bank and, and provide for commercial property as well. So, again, 
it was different 10, 15 years ago. The agency wasn't as streamlined as it has gotten over the last few years. But um, but nowadays, that's just uh, if you're if you're hear, hearing that kind of an objection from somebody, that means they probably don't want you to to partake in an SBA loan, and you often need to question sort of their motives because uh, chances are this is a better program for most small business owners. And uh, if they don't want you to do it, you got to ask yourself why that would be. We have about a minute to go. Why don't you just kind of briefly sum up why it's good to use commercial real estate, buy your own commercial real estate as a business owner, and what a difference it can make in your life long term to do it right? Well, I think it makes a huge difference because you don't really have to tweak much about your existing business. I mean, there's tons of business books out there, Jordan, about how to market better or how to hire better or, or all these other things that are that are critical to business. But uh, the reason I wrote this is because I don't think anybody really focused on this as a core business strategy. Once you've proven your concept, um, I think people need to gravitate to doing this very quickly um, so that they can pay themselves their rent, their monthly rent, and grow equity in an appreciable asset. And uh, there's a smart way to do it, and there's a not-so-smart way to do it. I think most business owners resonate with wanting to stretch their dollars as far as they can, and uh, buying commercial property should be no different. So I think if they get my book, they'll, uh, they'll have a blueprint for exactly how to do that. Terrific. Thanks so much. My guest this hour Thanks, has been Chris Hearn. Uh, he is the uh, CEO of Mercantile Capital Corporation based in Orlando, Florida. His new book is called The Entrepreneur's Secret to Creating Wealth. The website related to his book is the entrepreneursecretbook.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Chris. Thank you. Take care. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.